Greetings, friends, fellow citizens, and fellow patriots, and welcome to this week's edition of the We the People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. I hope that this podcast finds you in the middle of a very pleasant and enjoyable Thanksgiving Day weekend. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving with family and friends. Uh, you know, I was very encouraged to hear the uh, news that the uh, AAA put out that the number of airline trust passengers uh, and the number of people driving to someplace on Thanksgiving had reached the levels of 2019 pre-COVID. And that was a good sign that we're getting back to where we should be, right? That we, you know, we're starting to, you know, say enough of the COVID, we get it, you know, we'll deal with it and the masks are off and we're off visiting family again. And we were awful glad to have our family for the first time in three years at our house. And uh, we had a fantastic day. I hope you did indeed uh, as well. Have a, a, a great Thanksgiving. And it, it's just the, the best holiday of all. So, um, you know, we're, we're in the middle of that. And uh, I appreciate you taking time to listen to this podcast. There are some things going on this week that are things that you should know about. And, uh, but it'll be a little bit shorter because uh, there's just not as much going on as there has been in recent weeks. So, you know, we'll get, get after that. I want to thank everyone who's new to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, you know, we, we know that our loyal listeners tell other people about this podcast and, and it's available on, on Rumble and on our We the People Convention, you know, .org uh, website and it's on, uh, Apple Podcasts and, and things like that. It's on Roku TV, Amazon TV. However you're joining us today, we thank you for doing that because this show is really very simple. It's Its goal is to protect and defend our individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity. We do that by being informed about things that actually affect our freedom, liberty, and prosperity. You know, Get rid of all the noise focus on the things that are important that affect you and then we take action we you know we do try to do things that will protect us and I'll be asking you to do a few things here in this podcast as well it's rather you know something we do do all the time if you hear a, a kind of a humming noise in the background it's because we're in the middle of a power outage and our generator is running and so I'm uh, you know I'm kind of on battery backup at this point. But uh, we should be able to get the podcast done. And again, we appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much for spending part of your Thanksgiving weekend uh, watching our podcast. So let's get on with it. Again, as you can see, our flag is hanging upside down in the background, and that is intentional. And it uh, you know, shows that we are in dire distress of, of extreme danger to life and our property. And people say, well, geez, what's our, what's the danger to me, to my property? Well, how about that, you know, in the two years that the Biden regime has been in power, you've lost $7.9 trillion of value in your uh, savings, your stock portfolio. If you, are, you know, have a retirement account, a 401k, most people's accounts are down 25%. That's severe danger to your property. You know, what's the danger to your life? Well, you know, it's it's the babies that are being aborted because the left just has this, this death cult uh, that they want to destroy life. 
and and it's the you know people who are being uh, you know starved around the world because of the new world order and their uh, their efforts to control population. And so what they've done is they're you know they're getting rid of fossil fuels which are needed to create fertilizer which is now creating a food shortage that even the UN says may kill 230 million people globally in the next 12 months. That's what I mean by severe, you know, you know, damage to our life and our property. That's what we're fighting to stop that. Okay. We uh, have begun our, our podcast uh, for the last, you know, however long year and a half, whatever, praying for the January 6th prisoners, political prisoners. And, um, you know, we're going to do that again. I know that many of you have given. Uh, if you go to Give, Send, Go, you can donate to the January 6th legal fund at J6 Legal Fund at Give, Send, Go. We hope you will do that. But let's, on this Thanksgiving weekend, let us thank God for all that we've got, but pray for God to release the the political prisoners in the gulags of D.C. and to bring justice to those who have done this horrible act against American patriots and American citizens. Join me in a prayer for those, all those who are still incarcerated, their families, their attorneys. Thank you. I was just reading this morning about a prisoner who's got five children, father of five, been locked up for almost two years now, won't allow visitors. If you're not vaccinated, they won't allow you to have visitors, even though the CDC says vac status doesn't matter anymore. This is how criminal these people are. And we're going to push hard to get Jim Jordan to bring those prisoners to testify, you know, in Congress. Uh, and to you know, name these guards and name these wardens and name these uh, you know public defendants who haven't defended them and these judges and then bring them in front of the public and disclose them for the crimes they've committed against humanity and against our constitution and against the rights of these individuals. This uh, we will have our day. I promise you that. Speaking of you know the stupidity of you know, this this you know. COVID nonsense. This came out this week and it was just beyond belief. I sent this to you via text and email. Seriously, FDA claims in court that it did not order people to stop taking ivermectin. They actually are trying to claim that in this court case. Okay. So here's the details. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration telling people to stop taking ivermectin for COVID-19 was informal and just a recommendation, don't you know, Government lawyers argued during a recent hearing. And if you look at that image I just put up, it's a tweet where they said, the FDA said, you are not a horse, you are not a cow. Seriously, y'all, stop it. Why should you, you should not use ivermectin to treat or prevent COVID-19? And they were so proud of this. The cited statements were not directives. They were not mandatory. They were recommendations. They said what parties should do. They said, for example, why you should not take ivermectin to treat COVID-19. They did not say 
you may not do it, you must not do it. They did not say it was prohibited or unlawful. They also did not say that doctors may not prescribe ivermectin. Isaac Belfer, one of the lawyers, told the court during the November 1st hearing in federal court in Texas. They use informal language that is true. He also said, adding that it's conversational, but not mandatory. The FDA created a webpage in 2021 titled Why You Should Not Use Ivermectin to Treat or Prevent COVID-19 and later posted a link to the page on Twitter while writing, you are not a horse, you are not a cow, seriously, y'all, stop it. A second post stated, hold your horses, y'all. Ivermectin may be trending, but it still isn't authorized or approved to treat COVID-19, right? In a separate page, the FBI said, should I take Ivermectin to prevent or treat COVID-19? No, that's a direct command. Those actions uh, interfered with doctors' practice of medicine, violating the laws, including the Federal Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, the lawsuit alleges. It asked the court to rule the actions unlawful and bar the FDA from directing or or opining as to whether ivermectin should be used to treat COVID-19. Jared Kelson, the attorney representing the plaintiff, told the court during a hearing that that informal claim doesn't explain the language they actually use. Stop it. Stop it with the ivermectin. Plaintiffs in the case include Dr. Paul Merrick, who began utilizing ivermectin in 2000, uh, against COVID-19 in 2020 while he was chief of pulmonary and critical care medicine at Eastern Virginia Medical School and director of the intensive care unit at Centera Norfolk General Hospital. After the FDI's statements, Merrick was told to remove the protocol from the school servers while Centra issued a memorandum to hospitals telling them to stop using ivermectin against COVID-19 with a citation to the FBI guidance. So here's their proof. I was forced to stop. Merrick was forced to resign from his position because he couldn't prescribe ivermectin due to the FBI statement the suit alleges. The government has moved to dismiss the complaint, asserting the plaintiff's lack standing because the injuries cannot be traced back to the FBA, FDA, but so far it has not been dismissed. So again, you know, these people wanted to be so aggressive and, and push you, and we're going to talk about this documentary next, and you're going to see examples in that documentary. And then they want to say, oh, no, it was just, it was just advice. All right? It wasn't an order. Well, I know here in Ohio, because of that advice, the governor of Ohio would not allow ivermectin to be prescribed. So you did stop us from getting it. It is your fault. And I think this case and others will prove it out. Okay. Um, so I sent you something the, uh, yesterday, Friday. And uh, if you didn't get it, you can you get it at our website. And this is the video, Died Suddenly. And it's on Rumble. Uh, the world premiere came out on the 21st. I sent this to you, and I hesitated to do this. It's a very, very graphic film, very graphic. It shows, you know, embalmers and you know, pulling these these clots that are unbelievable out of these people's bodies. It talks to funeral directors. It makes the case that you know, it's the shot that is causing this, and that people are dying. Okay, and but I had to send it to you because you just got to see it. It's the best compilation of of everything. But I warn you, it's very graphic, very graphic. I mean, there's 
It's got pictures of people just dropping dead, okay? And it's, it's, it's pretty ugly. But it's there because you need to see it. I also posted uh, on the webpage for that uh, video, and this is in our video section, and over 8 million people have already viewed this. That's amazing on Rumble. That's the biggest viewership I've ever seen on Rumble. But I also put a, a thing on there about a, a doctor who is, uh, you know, criticizing this film and saying, you know, that there's all kinds of things that are wrong in it. And that's true. There are things that are not accurate in it. But even this critic says the part about the embalmers and the funeral directors was really good. And if they would have just stuck with that, he wouldn't have had any problem. The fact of the matter is people are dying. Lots of people are dying from the vaccines, okay? And we need an investigation. And we need a government and a medical investigation. And they're just pretending that it's not happening. And and, and, and here's the other thing they're pretending. Fox News came out with this in the Washington Post, followed up today. Vaccinated Americans, a majority of COVID deaths for the first time in August, okay? So this is... This is the new normal. They kept telling us, oh, all you uh, unvaccinated people, you know, you're the problem. You're, you know, you're going to die and you should die because you don't deserve to live. You're so stupid. Yeah, except all the people who got vaccinated are dropping dead on TV and stuff. And the people who said those things to us, okay, and in that video about died suddenly, I've got a, a, a little opinion piece from Dr. Malone talking about the people who wished we would die, and now they're dying. You might want to read that. But anyway, at a press uh, press briefing Tuesday, White House, oh, wait a minute, where is it? Uh, vaccinated Americanism are the majority for the first time uh, during the since the beginning of the pandemic who are dying. Uh, the majority of them are at least partially vaccinated. The waning effect of COVID-19 vaccines has increased Contagious strains of the virus being spread to elderly and immunocompromised people have resulted in more deaths among those who have taken at least one vaccine dose, a Washington Post analysis published Wednesday finds. 58% of coronavirus deaths in August were people who were vaccinated or boosted, the Post reported. The paper described a troubling trend as the share of deaths of people who were vaccinated has been steadily rising over the past year. In September 2021, vaccinated people make up just 23% of the COVID fatalities. In January or February this year, it was up to 42%. We can no longer say this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, said Kaiser Family Foundation Vice President Cynthia Cox, who conducted the analysis on behalf of the Post. Top health officials repeatedly urge Americans to complete their primary vaccines and get boosted to maximize vaccine protection against COVID-19 but it's not protecting you, right? The people that didn't get it are dying less than people who did. But yet at the press briefing Tuesday, White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator Dr. Ashish Jha unveiled the Biden administration's new six-week sprint um, campaign to get Americans vaccinated by this holiday season so you can all drop dead on Christmas Day, I guess. Bottom line is that we're doing everything we can in the next six weeks to help families get their updated COVID shots by the end of this year because the best it's the best protection for this winter, Jeed said. Outgoing Chief Medical Advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci also spoke at Tuesday's press briefing where he said the same thing. Get mad, you know, get you know vaccinated. It's your best protection. 
And so they just won't stop. Well, you, you know, as we've posted before, you need to stop. You need to stop and investigate these deaths. That's why you need to stop in any other time. Any vaccine that would have had this much death would have been stopped immediately. We've documented that. And yet they don't. They just keep pushing it. Why? It's not right. And it's got to be investigated. And so hopefully that's going to happen. All right? Now, uh, the next thing I want to talk about is this whole battle with, you know, the House speakership that's going on. Okay? And there's new information out that, you know, Kevin McCarthy actually killed the red wave by defunding conservatives. And this story I will link in our podcast page. But it's it's unbelievable, you know, that, that he was doing this. Okay? I mean, he, this guy is supposed to be the Speaker of the House, and yet this the, this red uh, this Bob Good, who was a, a candidate who did win his election, talks how McCarthy was only giving money to non-MAGA candidates, and that this was wrong, and that he won't vote for McCarthy for Speaker. Now, Kevin McCarthy has been saying all the right things, right? He's been saying, we're going to kick Omar, Oman Alar off for being anti-Semitic. We're going to kick Schiff and, and uh, 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 what's his name, for, you know, off the Intelligence Committee uh, because they, they can't be trusted. We're going to you know, get rid of the top people in the Democratic Party are not going to have committee appointments. He says he called for Mayorkas to be, you know, to resign or be impeached when he went to the border on, uh, I think, Wednesday before Thanksgiving. He's saying all the right things. But this is what uh, Matt Gates is saying in, in regards to McCarthy. And I think you need to know this. He's totally unafraid in my book. And it looks like he's unafraid to challenge Kevin McCarthy or at least say, you don't have my vote. Congressman Gates, welcome back to Newsmax. Good to see you. How you feeling tonight? Uh, feeling great. I can tell you Kevin McCarthy doesn't have 218 votes to be speaker. He doesn't have 200 votes. He doesn't have 190 votes. And that's because it's more of the same. And in Congress, we need to turn the page. We need to get away from the corrupt system that puts the lobbyists and special interests in charge. And we need a fighting Republican majority. It's one I don't think Kevin McCarthy can lead. And that's why we're trying to find alternatives to a return to the status quo. I think the American people didn't vote for that in November. Let's, uh, the results of the election aside, you must have had concerns about Kevin McCarthy before election day. Can you go through them? What, what are the deficiencies? Well, Kevin McCarthy thought that Donald Trump should resign after January 6th. And when the chips are down, you're either fight or flight. And after January 6th, Kevin McCarthy was all flight. I also saw in this last election cycle that McCarthy invested millions of dollars in Republican primaries against America First candidates in favor of establishment candidates. And in many cases, the America First candidates won their primaries, but because they were hobbled by Kevin McCarthy's millions, they weren't able to coalesce the Republican electorate to be successful in a lot of districts throughout the country. And I also remember when Dan Bishop, Republican from North Carolina, put forward the ouster of Liz Cheney initially when she betrayed President Trump, when she betrayed our voters and our party and our movement. 
And it was Kevin McCarthy who stood before the conference and said that he vouched for Liz Cheney, that he needed Liz Cheney in the leadership team. And when I just verbally criticized Liz Cheney, Kevin McCarthy was caught on tape saying that he thought I was endangering people, perhaps fomenting violence just with verbal criticism of policy positions. That's not somebody built for this moment. This is going to be a very slim majority, and we're going to have limited time to investigate deep and intense corruption from the Biden administration. And we don't need someone whose first instinct is to back Liz Cheney, attack America First Republicans on the campaign trail, and suggest that Donald Trump's path is one of resignation rather than resurgence. So where do things stand right now? You say he doesn't have the votes. There is this um, kind of fake news expectation. And even folks in the conservative uh, universe who think, well, you know, Kevin's got it locked up. Uh, it's, it's a fait accompli. That's not true. So you're telling me, so how, where, where do things stand now? What's going to happen next? Well, on Tuesday, there was an election in the House Republican Conference. Kevin got 188 votes. 36 people voted against him. And since then, none of the 36 says they've changed their mind. In fact, four members of the Republican Conference have come forward to say that under virtually any circumstance, we would not vote for Kevin McCarthy on the floor. So now we are in a process of elimination paradigm. And just like me and my five America First friends might have a veto over who the Republican speaker would be, I have to acknowledge that even the more centrist, even the more moderate members of our caucus hold that same veto. So we must now find some Republican, some person on the planet Earth that doesn't have five people who want to vote against them in the Republican conference. And I'd rather do that now on the front end rather than install someone who doesn't have broad support throughout the conference, who hasn't earned the trust of our members, because we're ultimately going to have to govern with about a four or five seat majority. So let's start with someone who has broad credibility across the Republican conference, not someone who's burned bridges with the America First crowd, with conservatives and certainly supporters of President Trump. Hey, you said somebody on the planet Earth. Now, that means we can look outside the House of Representatives, which I believe is actually legal. There's a provision where you can take somebody who's not a congressman. I want to pick up on. So uh, they mentioned that, it, you know, someone could be brought in to be the Speaker of the House. And they go on to talk about Lee Zeldin, the guy who ran the good race for governor in Democrat New York state and almost pulled it off. Uh, there's uh, the New York Post made a case for him to be speaker. Uh, they talked about Tulsi Gabbard, which, guys, I just don't get Tulsi Gabbard. I don't trust her as far as I could throw her. OK, but anyway, they mentioned her name. And then they talked about uh, Newt Gingrich. Many of you have thought about that. You know, why not bring Newt back? Um, you know, I, you know, that's an interesting idea. And then uh, they brought up Donald Trump. And, you know, and Gates said, I specifically asked the president if he would be interested. He didn't appear to have any interest. But, you know, it's just really a matter of us getting someone who's going to be a fighter. Now, I sent you really a very important document. Uh, you know, I think it was on Wednesday and said, if you do nothing else this weekend, read this. And the, the, image that's on our website is a House Freedom Caucus. Freedom Caucus leader Andy Biggs demands rule changes for new U.S. House. Now, that's that's what the story's about, and you can read it. Um, House Freedom Ca uh, Chairman uh, Representative Andy Biggs of Arizona, 
oversaw a meeting Monday in Washington to propose new rules for the incoming GOP House majority. Some of the key proposals would open up the legislative process so members can offer amendments in contrast to recent years when the majority House leadership and their staffs crafted large bills with little to no input from rank-and-file lawmakers. Uh, the Freedom Caucus put together a 50-page document called A Roadmap for Incoming Republican Members of Congress detailing the conservative group's proposals. Uh, I have the links in this story, right, in this story for you to download the PDF of this and read it because you've got to do it, okay? And in this document or in this, this uh, you know, PDF they sent out, they had this reality check image, which I put on our website. And here's the reality check. Newly elected members of the U.S. House of Representatives often arrive in Washington with some preconceived notions of how Congress works. Whether you have years of experience as a state lawmaker or this is your first venture into government service, you may have some surprises ahead. Some surprises ahead. We know because we've been in your shoes. Here are your expectations. You'll be able to impact important legislation with your valuable insight on the House floor. The reality, no member has been able to offer an amendment to an open process on the House floor in six years. Your expectation, your committee assignment will be determined by your life experience prior to being elected. The reality, committee's assignments are based on preconceived loyalty to party leadership and whether you agree to meet a fundraising quota, everything else is secondary. Your expectation, you'll have time to read and carefully consider legislation before having to vote on it. The reality, at best, you'll have a handful of days to read legislation before voting. Many bills, even massive pieces of legislation, are routinely rushed to the House floor within hours of being released. Your expectation, you'll have a voice on major spending bills. The reality, Unlike, unless you serve on the Appropriations Committee, you're rarely allowed to impact decisions on spending. Even those on the committee, however, are frequently sidelined once uh, since party leadership often cobbles together massive spending bills in secret at the 11th hour. Okay? Now, that graphic I had up for you and those listening on the audio-only podcast is at wethepeopleconvention.org in this uh, House Freedom Caucus uh, story. Folks, we need to understand the environment we're in. And I am so thankful to the Freedom Caucus for putting out this PDF. You have got to read this because I could never have imagined what a screwed up mess this government is and how corrupt it is and how your representative, the people we just elected, If we don't change things right now, they have nothing to do. They might as well not even go to D.C. They have no say in anything, in anything. This this document will prove to you flat out, we don't live in the United States of America. We do not live under the Constitution that our founding fathers gave us. They have gutted it. The deep state, the ruling class, the special interests have gutted our Constitution. And we have to start to restore it. 
that's really, you know, this idea that they're trying to take over America, they've already taken over America. That's why we have no rule of law. That's why we have no checks and balances. And when you read this document, you're going to understand the job that the people you just elected have in Washington. I told one of the congressmen I spoke to over the holiday, I said, it's not like you won a trip to Disneyland when you won the election. It's like you have just been sentenced to be parachuted into Ukraine to fight the Russians. This is a war, and you're going to the front. And so there's things like regular order. It is, I can't even, after reading this document, I've just been obsessed with how can the Speaker of the House just wave their hand and completely take away our representation that is guaranteed in the Constitution. How can that be constitutional? And and I had a discussion with a judge, and I've had a discussion with a lawyer over the holiday about could we, the people, file suit in the Supreme Court to say, when you end regular order, when my elected representative cannot offer amendments, cannot even you know have a chance to review what's being put up to be passed, how can that be legal? Could we file suit? And and we had this discussion. I said, well, what's is that an overreach of the Supreme Court to say that the Congress must restore the rule of order and regular order for our representatives to be representing us? Well, that may be an overreach, but doesn't Congress, doesn't the Supreme Court rule when Congress or the executive branch passes a law or signs a law that is unconstitutional and, and, and crushes it? What, how, if they can do that, if the Supreme Court can do that with a law, why can't they do that with a freaking chairman's rule? How does that have the force to take away your and my representatives? Read this document. You will be appalled. And you will see that maybe what we've got to do is we've got to go all in and demand that this house reestablish regular order which means that your guy is in a committee, your gal is in a committee, the the appropriations for those committees, whether it's energy, whether it's defense, whatever it is, that the the appropriations come out of that committee and they're debated and your representative has a say in what comes out and then it goes to the floor to be passed or rejected, okay, or sent back to committee. And then once it's passed, it goes to the Senate, and the Senate can say, we don't like this like that, and it comes back, but it gets reconciled at the committee level. It's called regular order. You've got to understand how important this is because that's how you have representation. You have none. No one. No one is representing you or me at all. We have no representation. This has to change. It's fundamental. And as, as and as we're proving once again, just electing some people doesn't change it. I'm asking you, please read this PDF, right? Go to this page on our website. It's House Freedom Caucus. And they want to add, change the rules. That's where the PDF is. Read it, share it, and let's figure out a strategy between now and in January, 
to get the right speaker, right? The right, right person to lead this and to get the right rules so that we can start acting like a constitutional republic again because what's in that PDF is tyranny. Tyranny. <clears throat> we can talk about Joe Biden's tyranny, but this was Nancy Pelosi's tyranny, and it was John Boehner's before that, and Paul Ryan's. We need liberty. We need a constitutional republic, and by God, we're going to have to fight for it. I'll tell you that. Speaking of fighting, okay, and things we need to fight for, you know, I want to give you a brief update on what's going on in Arizona because the fight continues. And it's a fight we've got to win. Arizona governor uh, election results in Maricopa County formally questioned by attorney general. Okay? So the attorney general office ordered Maricopa County officials to submit a report on its botched handling of the November 8th election that led to Democrat gubernatorial candidate Kerry, Katie Hobbs' apparent victory over Republican Kerry Lake, saying answers are needed before the election can be certified. And that's important. And a, and a letter from the Elections Integrity uh, Unit of the Attorney General Mark Bronovich's office, a top official cited evidence of statutory violations in the contest in which Hobb, who as Secretary of State oversees elections, overcame huge deficits in the polls. There was there were widespread malfunctions of voting machines in conservative areas of the state's most populous county, which became a national punchline as it took more than a week to tally votes. They're still tallying the votes. They still haven't done it. Okay, right. Uh, the, the the person that did this is Assistant Attorney General Jennifer Wright. She requested a full report on how the tabulators and printer malfunctions in some 60 Maricopa voting lo locations uh, were addressed on election day, as well as a copy of each voting location's official ballot report, including any discrepancies and explanations. Wright's letter cites potential legal violations in the way poll workers handled ballots that could not be instigated, uh, ingested into tabulators. There were widespread reports that those ballots were collected separately, though without proper security. Uh, quote, Maricopa County appears to have failed to adhere to statutory guidelines in segregating, counting, tabulating, tallying, and transporting the door three ballots, Wright uh, wrote. In fact, Maricopa County has admitted that in some voting locations, the door three non-tabulated ballots were commingled with tabulated ballots at the voting location. Serious problems. This has to be contested. Carrie Lake has is, is just filed a lawsuit to get a judge to give her lawyers the information they need to file an even bigger lawsuit. Okay, so that's going on. But in the meantime, there, the, as you knew from the beginning of this, we talked about the RNC had put together this really big legal effort to stop the cheating this time, okay? And... These lawyers who they put out in Maricopa County put out a memo detailing what they saw with their own eyes, and it's very damning. A memo detailing the findings of nearly a dozen attorneys who visited voting sites in Maricopa County, Arizona on Election Day described widespread problems with tabulation equipment, long lines, and voters leaving in frustration. According to a memo written by attorney Mark Sonaclar, who, uh, who summarized the findings of 11 roving attorneys, um, you know, he said it seems very clear that the printer tabulator failures on election day at 62.6% of the vote centers observed by 11 roving attorneys and the resulting long lines at the majority of voting centers led to substantial voter suppression. 
Um, he said that the their viewpoint, their vision, you know, in person testimony is that there were problems in 72 of the 115 voting centers, not 20 percent, 62 percent. Moreover, because Republican voters significantly outnumbered Democrat voters in the county on Election Day, such voter suppression would necessarily impact the vote tallies of four Republican candidates, which are much more than the vote tallies for Democrat candidates, he wrote. Collectively, I, had, I and the other 10 roving attorneys also reported that voters had to wait in significant lines at 59 of the 115 voting centers we visited. In many cases, they had to wait one to two hours before receiving a, a ballot for voting. It's certainly safe to assume that many voters refused to wait in lots, such lines and left the voting center and did not vote, did not return to vote later. At least two Arizona counties, Republican-led Cochise County and Mahovie County, had delayed certification of their election results until November 28th when this is to be resolved. So we must keep fighting. And I ask you, again, we ask you to stand up. Why is this important? If there is voter fraud in our nation, we must not allow it to stand. We fought the fight in 2020, but we didn't understand the legalese, the legal rules, the ramifications, the state laws. It was too complicated to fight then and there. We spent two years learning. Now we know. Now we had good lawyers on the scene. Now we must win this fight. Carrie Lake must become the governor of Arizona. We have to find a tipping point where that cheating doesn't work. We need a win. I'm asking you to pray for Carrie Lake and her attorneys, but I'm asking you also to donate to her so that they can afford the legal effort they have to undergo here to challenge this. Nan and I made a donation yesterday. I hope that some of you will do the same. Donate to Carrie Lake's campaign directly so they have the funds to challenge this, okay? All right, we're gonna take a short break. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the first half of the podcast and that um, you'll stick around for the second half. We hope you're having a great Thanksgiving weekend. And no, this is not a turkey next to me. This is our eagle. He's he's not going to get eaten. And we had, a, we had a great turkey for Thanksgiving. I hope you did too. We'll be back after these short breaks. You're listening to the We The People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. The We The People Convention News and Opinion Radio Program is paid for by donors like you. You can donate to the We The People Convention and support our cause by going to wethepeopleconvention.org or by sending your check in any amount to We The People Convention, P.O. Box 6211, Akron, Ohio, 44312. When you're playing a video, including our podcast, you'll see this little cloud button. And if you click it, it'll actually download the po- the video to your hard disk. And this works on our podcast page as well. If, you, if you're playing our podcast, and it's going to be loud, so I won't play it for much. But there's our podcast playing. And you can see this little you know download button. Okay. The other thing you got to notice on our podcast page is that there's a link here where you can send me a message about this podcast. Hey, it was great. Hey, I didn't like it. What, you know, something was wrong or here's a correction, that kind of thing. You can use that link. And then these are the stories that I covered in this particular podcast. And you'll see there's links that go to the stories that to the articles that I used in reporting on that. So you can, you can click on that. 
Um, you'll also see that um, you can sign up for our emails and text messages, but you can also watch our podcast on Roku TV and on Amazon Fire TV. And these are the instructions for doing that. So this is all on our, our podcast page, right? Right on the front page where the yellow button was. So if you click there, you know, this is our podcast page. These are the instructions for watching on Roku TV or Amazon Fire. And I watch our podcast on TV. It just feels more comfortable. Uh, so you can do that. We're also on Rumble. Uh, if you go to Rumble, uh, you should join Rumble. Uh, and, you know, it's Tom Z at WTPC. You'll see our podcast there. So you can get us a lot of different ways, including on Apple iTunes. And then this is an audio uh, version of our podcast. If you click here, it'll just play the audio of the podcast. It will not, uh, you know, uh, you know, show you the video. So people can, you know, listen to that while they're jogging or, you know, working out, working in the yard or just relaxing and just want to listen to the audio and not watch the video. And again, this is available on phone, on your iPad, on your laptop, on your computer, any way you want. And you can share, you know, this, this, you know, whatever you see, if you're on a page that you, you know, you really like and you know, you see an article that you think, geez, I've got to share this article, you know, with uh, someone in my family. You can send them an email by clicking on the little envelope. You can uh, post it on Parler or MeWe. If you click on this, you get all kinds of options, you know, where you can put it on Twitter or Facebook, whatever, which we don't support. But uh, you can do whatever you want. So, so we ask that you share what uh, you see on our We the People convention site and that um, you get more people to look at it because uh, that's the whole idea here, to help uh, educate people, inform them. And then, as I said uh, before, Link, we're not just about talk, we're about action. And in my podcast every week, uh, which is published every Saturday, so if you, you know, the new podcast usually comes out every Saturday, and in that podcast, I will ask you to do certain things that will help protect and defend your individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity. So that's the We The People Convention website. Come back often, use it uh, to be informed, be informed, and uh, share it with others. Thanks a lot. So, you know, those same features are all available on your phone app. So you can go to your Google Play Store or Apple Store and download the We The People Convention. It's actually WTPC space convention. If you search on that, you'll find our app in the Play Store and App Store, and you can download it. And all those features are available on that. I thought it was interesting that the article I used as an example of how if you find an article you like, you can share it. It was the article from like six months ago when the insurance company CEO said that deaths for people under age 64 were up 40%, which ties back to this dying suddenly article or video that I've put out there for you to watch that is so graphic, but so important. These are not, again, these are not uh, conspiracy theories, right? Because we've got actual insurance actuaries data showing that deaths, mortality rates since COVID, since COVID ended, are up like between 15 and 20% globally. There's evidence from all over the world. Why? Why won't they investigate this? And then you've got the funeral homes and those directors. We did the story from Service Corp International out of Houston a couple of weeks ago, a couple of podcasts ago. 
where the CEO is a publicly traded company. He's got to give projections for future income. And he said, Our, we've been doing this for like 100 years. We own more funeral homes than anybody. The mortality rate only increases or decreases between 1% and 2% each year until COVID. And then we had a big spike at COVID, no surprise. But since COVID, they thought it'd go back down to 1% to 2%, and they're still seeing 20% more deaths. Those are facts. Those aren't conspiracy theories. And if you're a government official, if you're a health official, you would, you should want to know why are these people dying? And that's why we're going to push the House to you know, investigate. We want Fauci on the stand because these people are dirty. They've ignored the evidence. They've lied to us. They've misled millions of people. And we got to fight this and get to the bottom of it. So anyway, I thank all of you who do donate. I thank all of you who are members of our organization. You are so generous. You're so patriotic. I thank you for all the notes I get. You know all the all the you know things you, you in the mail. You know in in you know text messages in emails. Thank you for your support. But I, as I always tell you, and those who've written and gotten some back from me will tell you, I always say, this is about me. This is about you. I'm one guy. I'm a guy just like you. And while I can lead and provide guidance, if you don't act on the things I ask you to act on, then what am I doing? I'm not doing anything. It's all of us collectively. When we, I say, call your congressman, okay, and, and do this, or, or, you know, boycott this company or support this person. It's all of us acting collectively that makes it a force for good that protects our individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity. That's why you watch this podcast. That's why I do this podcast. That's why the We The People Convention exists. And it wouldn't exist without you. Not, not just your donations. You're sharing the podcast. You're sharing the website. You're telling others and then acting. That's the key. Not just talk, but action, right? That's our motto. Now, I have, I think, some good news. Last week, you'll remember this graphic where the Republicans, the cowardly Republicans, had voted to, um, to end debate on this horrible disrespect for Marriage Act bill, Okay. And at that point, I was writing to people and saying, can we do something about this? It, it didn't pass yet. Can we filibuster? What can we do? I'm, I'm encouraged that there are some things now that we might be able to do. This came from FRC Action to me. Uh, on Monday, the Senate will vote again. That's this Monday uh, on whether to advance the re redefinition of marriage. And this may be our last chance to add real religious liberty protections to the bill. People of faith have been targeted by the left for their belief that marriage is between a man and a woman. If the so-called Respect for Marriage Act bill becomes law without substantial protections, courts are likely to interpret the law as a national policy on natural marriage, equating the belief that marriage is between one man and one woman with racism and bigotry. Furthermore, the bill will supercharge legal attacks by granting a private right of action to almost anyone against any Christian. Currently, there are no equivalent protections in the bill. Will you take a moment to call 
the 12 senators and all senators, even Democratic senators, on Monday and demand that they either amend this bill or not pass it. A cloture vote requiring 60 votes is set for Monday evening. Senators, uh, these Republican senators who voted to end debate, there's 12 of them. The vote was 62. They needed 60. They're going to need 60 again on Monday. If we can just peel off Joni Ernst, and I'll name all the rest of them, okay, we can stop this. Uh, they, they can they can then force Democrats to add strong religious liberty protections to the bill, but they need to hear from you, okay? So now let me get into a little more specifics here. Republicans who voted for the Respect for Marriage Act on Wednesday, so let me see here, I'll put that up here, okay? I can still change course, according to Mary Margaret Olin uh, from uh, the Daily Signal. Here's what she said. Um, 12 Republican lawmakers voted to advance the Respect for Marriage Act. Senators Roy Blunt of Missouri, Richard Burr of North Carolina, Shelley Capito of West Virginia, Susan College of Maine, Cynthia Loomis of Wyoming, Rob Portman of Ohio, Mitt Romney of Utah, Dan Sullivan of Alaska, Tom Tillis of North Carolina, Joni Ernst of Iowa, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, and Todd Young of Indiana. Now, I think we can get Roy Blunt, I think we can get Caputo from uh, West Virginia. I think we can get Loomis from Wyoming. I think we can get, uh, you know, Journey Ernst of Iowa and maybe Dan Sullivan or Todd Young to back off. We only need to get three of them, okay? Many of these lawmakers claim that the much-discussed legislation protects religious liberty, but opponents of the bill warn that it puts a giant target on people of faith. The legislation repeals the 1996 Defense of Marriage Act, obliges those acting under color of state law to recognize same-sex marriages, and orders the federal government to recognize marriages that are deemed valid in one or more states. Now, again, this was this problem of if California says you can marry your horse, Ohio has to accept that. That's what this bill is saying, okay? And, and it's got all kinds of things about you know, grown people marrying children and all that kind of stuff. Um, the bill itself still hasn't passed. They still haven't broken the filibuster of the underlying bill. So this is the next big move. Um, under the proposal, you know, these Republicans need to get uh, Mike Lee has an amendment. Remember, a Republican in Utah Senator Mike Lee has repeatedly raised concerns about the contents of the Respect for Marriage Act urging Republicans and Democrats to come to an agreement on his amendment, creating a strict policy that the federal government can't discriminate on either either viewpoint of marriage, whether same-sex or traditional. In other words, it's, offered, it's only saying you can't discriminate against uh, you know, same-sex marriage, but you can't against traditional. That's what's, what's out of balance. I offer to, to support the bill if, it, if the sponsors would include my amendments to prohibit the government from removing tax exempt status based on religious beliefs about same-sex marriages for or against, Lee said Wednesday. The sponsors adamantly refused to even consider the, the, these changes. So now we've got to fight this fight. But race hell. I'm asking you on Monday, and I don't care if it's a Democrat or, or a Republican, call their offices on Monday, they're going to vote Monday evening and demand that they amend this disrespect of Marriage Act or they they don't pass it. We've got to fight the fight. Now, in that article, 
it talks about how Mitch McConnell and those guys aren't working for us on this, right? Which goes back to our Gates commentary. Um, when there are really tough votes for Dems like Born Alive uh, Protection Act, they have all their members stand in line and oppose it, uh, Republican aide said, this Republican aide uh, for I'm not sure who he was, questioning why Republican leadership does not demand the same of GOP lawmakers voting on the issues that are most important to us are based like religious liberty. Senator Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and GOP Leader Kevin McCarthy did not immediately respond to requests for comments, but they have taken no steps to get leadership to to have members vote against it. So again, what's going on with that? Do we want McConnell or McCarthy when they won't even see the damage that this act could do to traditional marriage? The answer is no. The answer is no. So that's another ask for Monday. Write it down. Monday, put an alarm on your phone. Call my senator and demand that they amend that use the bill the the Lee amendment, okay, to amend the bill uh, or not pass it. Okay? Write it down. All right, this was disturbing and this is posted at We the People Convention's website. Biden regime continues illegal assault on your free speech. The National Science Federation Foundation, NSF has pumped nearly $40 million into social media censorship grants and contracts. Okay? So get this. So get this. We are paying taxes. That is going to the National Science Foundation, which is supposed to investigate things like cures for diseases and new energy storage things like battery technology. Instead, they're giving it to universities to develop new ways to censor us. Can't make this up. Can't make this up. Listen to this thing. Unbelievable. When most people think the National Science Foundation, they think about the U.S. government investing tax dollars in grand advancements in mathematics, aerospace, and engineering. But under the Biden administration, the fastest growing field of NSS grants funding appears to be the science of censorship. At Foundation for Freedom Online, which is where we got this article, and you can link to that at our website, the strange fact that the exact two, uh, two universities who partnered with the Department of Homeland Security to censor the 2020 election received a $3 million joint grant from the National Science Foundation just months after the election ended. Neither of those two ac academic disinfo labs were taxpayer-funded before the 2020 election, but then after the election, they were in effect Given exclusive, uh, they exclusively censored the social media composition of the current administration. Suddenly, the current administration started hooking them up with government grants. After that revolution, revelation, we investigated every NSF grant issued in 2021 and 2022 relating to social media misinformation or disinformation. Our goal was to determine the extent to which NF NSF is spending U.S. tax dollars on censoring U.S. taxpayers. Our findings were profoundly disturbing. Since the start of 2021, the National Science Foundation has issued 64 government grants on the science of countering social media mis-disinformation, totaling $31.8 million. It has also issued two government grants, totaling $7 million. That brings the total to almost $40 million. In just two years, those 60 government censorship grants were spread across 42 different colleges and universities. This incredible range of recipients covers every level of the country's higher education institutions, both regionally and in terms of prestige. Okay? 
So they then go into one example of what these grants were doing. Uh, on May 1st, 2022, the National Science Foundation gave a $200,000 grant to George Washington University. You can see the full grant details in a link here on this page with the following grant description. The description of the grant, pandemic communication in a time of populism. This project uses several methods to study how populist politicians distorted COVID-19 pandemic health communications to encourage polarized attitudes and distrust among citizens, thus making them more vulnerable to misinformation. It also studied how best to counter these populist narratives and develop more effective communications channels. The research studies four areas of communications, government-led pandemic communications, media policy, media coverage, and public attitudes towards the media. The project makes an important contribution to research on populist communications and political polarization by bringing two fields of expertise, populist communications and public health together. Okay? And so this is what the project, what they did with this project. So this is a government grant funded by the National Science Foundation for universities, which explicitly takes aim at populist politicians, populist communications, and targets the former populist leaders of four countries, including the United States. To ram the radical bias home, the NSC, NSF grant explicitly says the goal of the funding is to counter these populist narratives. That is, point blank, just the U.S. government using taxpayer funds to counter the social media opinions of half of the entire United States electorate. Isn't the government supposed to work for us, not against us? Obviously not. It is illegal for the government to censor the American people and violate our First Amendment rights. This is another group that must be defunded by the new Democrats in the hell in the House in the next budget bill. Okay? You stop this by taking away those funds from the National Science Foundation so they can't give it to them to do this research in how to censor us. That's illegal. That's what these court cases are about, right? The court cases against Twitter and Facebook and all that. The evidence is clear. The Biden White House, the GOJ, the FBI, all colluded illegally against us, against our First Amendment rights. It needs to stop. But that that was some new information that I hadn't seen. Okay, then we have the, the Jack Smith being announced as the special counsel, right? We talked about this last week, that this guy, Jack Smith, was going to investigate Donald Trump. And I did a press release this week that uh, got some, some coverage because I wanted to point out how absurd this is. And the, and the title of the press release was that the DOJ special prosecutor, Jake Smith, lost all his credibility just hours after his appointment as the newest Trump investigator when his past partisan political activities were exposed by the House Judiciary Committee. Excuse me. Zawistowski said, Newly appointed Trump special counsel Jake Smith lost all credibility just hours after he was appointed by corrupt Attorney General Merrick Garland to conduct another politically driven, uh, baseless investigation into former President Donald Trump last Friday. The House Judiciary uh, GOP released emails from May of 2013 over the weekend showing Mr. Smith colluding with disgraced former IRS official Lois Lerner and trying to dream up ways to charge Tea Party groups with conspiracy for legally forming nonprofit organizations to oppose the re-election of Barack Hussein Obama. 
Two federal lawsuits found that the efforts of the Obama administration to attack the Tea Party groups were illegal, and a fine of $3.5 million was paid by the IRS to these Tea Party groups in 2018. Smith was also the lead prosecutor in a politically motivated corruption charge against former Virginia Governor Rob, uh, Republican Governor Bob McDonald in 2014, after which the conviction was unanimously overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court, but it prevented McDonald from being a presidential candidate. Zawistowski continued, the ham-fisted appointment of Smith by Garland just two days after Trump announced he was running again for president in 2024, and just hours after Representative James Comer and Jim Jordan held a press conference outlining the case against President Joe Biden for influence peddling, peddling was simply laughable both for its timing and justification. While Garland hilariously claimed that appointing Smith was in the public interest and not politically motivated, it was obvious that creating the special concert, the special counsel had one purpose, and that was to create a method to leak, to leak more made-up and false political damaging stories over the next two years about President Trump to try to, over, to, to, to basically stop his campaign to run again. And then reveal, and it reveals the uh, the bias charges, okay, that you know we're going to be making in the House. So you're going to be leaking these things while the House investigation is showing the Biden crime family and others how they've really committed actual crimes. They're going to use fake charges of crimes to get the media to defend them and deflect to keep the American people confused about the Biden family laptop. Okay, so I, I put out this press re uh, release and it got some play. You know, the reality is this is all politics. Trump says, I'm not going to cooperate. They're going to go after the low-hanging fruit. They're going to play the same game they played. But it's up to the House Republicans to overwhelm them, to overwhelm the media and the American people with the investigations that are going to tell the truth not not false you know allegations, but fact-based allegations. That's why it's so important that going back to the Gates story in the early in this podcast, it is so important that we get the right person to lead our House delegation and that we do the right investigations and we do them the right way. All right. Uh, let's see here. This uh, was an, an issue that's economic and it affects all of us. And again, that's what we try to look at. Biden's crushing inflation spikes household credit card debt to new heights. Now, this story is important because it's a it's a canary in the in the coal mine type thing. The Biden administration has worked overtime to gaslight Americans into believing everything is totally fine, when in fact everything is not fine. As a matter of fact, everything is getting worse by the day, and by its, I mean everything is going south. The latest indications of yet another looming economic crisis, and no, I'm not talking about the developing housing crisis, the diesel fuel crisis, the home heating oil crisis, the inflation crisis, or the illegal immigration crisis, well, was revealed in a startling report this week regarding total household credit card debt, which is now increased by the most in 20 years, rising to a staggering 15% from last year. The crazy part, the debt has increased at record levels, even as interest rates has been pumped up higher by the Fed over the past several months. In other words, under President Biden's grossly failing economy, many of us are being forced to use available credit, even at record high interest rates, to buy the things we've always bought. Nobody's buying extra stuff. 
This is a direct result of saving accounts being drained because of Biden inflation. We simply run out of cash. And good luck trying to liquidate your fun, expensive, expendable assets like boats, motorcycles, and RVs because most people can't afford to buy them. Okay? So this is an important indicator that things are about to turn to the worst. Because what happened, and there were stories this weekend, this week about how with the checks that the government sent out during COVID and stuff, many people paid off credit cards and, and consolidated their debt. And with and when we had low interest rates, a lot of people did that. And our savings had really gone up. In 2020, we had record personal savings. But now that's eroding. Now that's going down. And, and now our savings rate is like 2 or 3% which is not good. And this credit card story belies the fact that, like I'm hearing on Black Friday and this weekend, that there's going to be record sales on Black Friday. Okay? So you say, well, how do you how do you equate those two things? Well, first of all, there's more people alive, so record sales, you know, aren't, isn't unusual. So that's part of it. But also, people are probably buying things that are cheaper than what they would have bought they're trying to get more for less. So that doesn't necessarily indicate that everybody has money to spend. It, it, it does indicate that people are still spending, but they don't really have the cash to do it. They're doing it on credit. Okay? So what does this mean to all of us? Well, what it means is <coughs> that the last election, the surveys I saw indicated that only about 30% of Americans are currently feeling real pain from the inflation. And again, mostly the lower class, mostly people who have less income are feeling that, okay? But there's also this window of people who are in government assistance aren't feeling it. It's the people who are not in government assistance but are still in the lower middle class that are really feeling the pain. This credit card thing indicates that things are really going to get worse because once your credit cards are maxed out, there is no way to buy things. And you're going to start to see bankruptcies and defaults on mortgages, on cars. See what I'm saying? So I share this story with you because you need to know you've got to curtail your spending now as best you can. I know you are. I know many of you have to, okay? But even if you don't have to, start putting away some savings because things are going to get tough. And prices are going to continue to go up, and it's going to be harder for you to live the way you currently live. Okay, so that was an important story. And this is not going to be helped by this story, which is that it looks like we're on the path for a national rail strike next week. This is going to be terrible. Members of the country's largest rail union on Monday rejected a proposed labor contract with freight railroads, resulting in a potential nationwide freight rail strike amid the holiday season and Congress likely having to intervene after such a shutdown. Two of the 12 unions involved voted Monday. The other union, uh, the other union, the nation's second largest union, which represents engineers, ratified its own contract, according to CNN, but the deal alone will not avert a strike, which begins as soon as December 5th, raising concerns about further disruptions in the U.S. supply chain, exacerbating high inflation. Uh, Congressional lawmakers would have to move quickly to avert a strike considering they won't return from Thanksgiving recess until the November 28th. The work stoppage could impact coal shipments, pasture rail service, and the cost the U.S. economy's 
billions of dollars per day, according to Politico. Now, they basically said that, you know, the press, uh, uh, the lady for the White House saying, you know, President Biden's involved in these negotiations. He's going to settle it, blah, blah, blah. Well, he falsely claimed that he had solved it a month ago. Oh, by the way, that was before the election. And he lied about settling it when it wasn't settled. Oh, yeah. Funny little detail, right? But now, after the election, the unions voted no on the contract. And it has to do with medical leave and stuff like that. So then they're saying at the White House, well, Biden's engaged. And then they interviewed Biden and he said, well, I'm not directly engaged in this. I have a team doing that. And once they figure it all out, I'll get involved. So he's not even involved. He's eating ice cream cones, you know, wandering around like a fool. But this is important because, man, folks, you cannot replace what gets shipped by rail with trucks or boats or planes or anything. If the railroads shut down, baby, we're going to see some serious problems with getting things delivered, you know, to our grocery stores, to our parts stores, to whatever we need. Okay. Now, I've got to guess a few more stories before we wrap up the, the show and uh, this week. And this one was pretty disturbing to me. Tax filing websites have been sending users financial information to Facebook. What? What is this? Major tax filing services such as H&R Block, Tax Act, and Tax Slayer have been quietly transmitting sensitive financial information to Facebook when Americans file their taxes online, the markup has learned. The data sent through widely used code called the Metapixel includes not only information like names and email addresses, but often even more detailed information, including data on users' income, filing status, refund amounts, and dependent college scholarship amounts. The information sent to Facebook can be used by the company to power its advertising on logarithms and is gathered regardless of whether the person using the tax filing service has an account on Facebook or other platforms owner-operated by the owner of Facebook, Meta. So this has happened without you having any knowledge. You didn't agree to this. You didn't agree to this. When users sign up to file their taxes with the Popular Tax Service Tax Act, for example, they're asked to provide personal information to calculate their returns, including how much money they make and their investments. A pixel on Tax Act's website then sent some of the data to Facebook, including the user's filing status, their adjusted gross income, and the amount of their refund according to the review by the markup. Okay, so how can this be legal? How can they share your tax information with Facebook? See, that's what I'm saying. Big tech is like being totally unregulated. Where is the federal government on this? Why don't they step in and stop this? I know lots of people do you know, use these services online because they don't want to pay an accountant you know, hundreds of dollars to do their taxes when they have, they're just on Social Security or whatever. But now, I certainly would make me consider not using those services. So I'll link this story at our website and you can read as many more details of how they do this. But this is really disturbing. And I, I was really upset by that. Now, something that didn't upset me, but it shows you the hypocrisy, this story didn't get much play. Biden administration quietly greenlights plan to build huge Gulf oil terminal. What? What is this? Okay. The Biden administration has quietly approved, quietly approved plans to build a new crude oil terminal in the Gulf of Mexico off Texas, seemingly in contradiction to the president's climate agenda. 
the Department of Transportation Maritime Administration approved the application for Enterprise Seaport Oil Terminal, terminal one of four proposed offshore oil export terminals on Monday. According to the application, the port will be located offshore of Freeport, Texas. It will have a 4.8 million barrel of storage capacity and 2 million barrels per day to U.S. oil export capacity. In its 94-page decision, the Maritime Administration said that it had approved the application because the construction and operation of the port is in the national interest and consistent with other policy goals and objectives. The, uh, that's that's kind of amazing to me that they would do this. Now, I was concerned that they're saying this is a port, so it's not a drilling thing. It's not going to create more oil and gas. It's going to store it and then put it on tankers, which I assume will be shipped overseas. So the Biden administration, again, is saying no to U.S. oil and gas, right? We're, we're going to send it overseas. And they actually, I read this week, too, that the Biden administration approved, I think it was Conoco or someone, to drill for oil in Venezuela. It was an American company. I think it was Conoco, but I can't remember. That they're going to be able to drill in Venezuela, but they can't drill here. This is the fraud of all of it. They're not against fossil fuels. They're against the United States of America. They're against free market capitalism, right? Any oil but ours is good. That's why these people are destructive. They, they don't care about America. They're trying to destroy America. And this is further proof. So I'm going to close on a good note because I thought this is very important. This is about our friends, Catherine Engelbrecht, and uh, and uh, Phillips, the uh, two people at True the Vote who were incarcerated for a week. This uh, document on your screen is a Court of Appeals order from the Fifth Circuit of Court of Appeals that vacates the contempt order that the judge made to put them in prison because they wouldn't turn over their, their sources for the Chinese Connects uh, data that they had released. Um, and the, the, the petitioners... Defendant requests relief from the district court's civil contempt order. We previously ordered petitioners released from custody. Today we vacate the contempt order. So this was good news that they, you know, the court said that the judge should never have put them in jail in the Connect case. And I wrote to Catherine as soon as I saw this, and I said, does this mean you can sue to get your legal fees back? Because as I told all of you, She's telling me that's going to cost like a million dollars in legal fees over the next year to keep fighting and exposing this China involvement in our elections. And, and she said, we certainly are going to try. So we're hoping that they'll win a big settlement for wrongful imprisonment, okay, and things of that nature, and, and, and that that will help pay their legal bills. But I want you to know that there was some good news uh, and that was made my Thanksgiving very happy to see that those charges were vacated. <clears throat> so they still have suits to fight, but we got to just keep on fighting regardless of the obstacles. All right, so we're going to wrap up the podcast. I've been ending the show with this uh, meme from uh, Steve Bannon. If you think they're going to give you your country back without a fight, you are sadly mistaken. And that is absolutely what we're finding to be true, isn't it? We've got to fight. We've got to do the things that, you know, will help make a difference. So we've got to give to Carrie Lake in Arizona so she can fund the lawsuits to get us a win against voter fraud. There clearly was voter fraud. 
I mean, my goodness gracious. You know, we did this story about, you know, that Bill Gates guy who runs the Maricopa Board of Elections. He and the other guy started a pack to help defeat Republicans who were mega Republicans. How can you give an honest accounting of this election when you literally formed a legal pack to raise money to defeat the people whose votes you're counting, right? There's other stories about that. <clears throat> How could you have Katie Hobbs, who's the candidate, running against Kerry Lake and not have you know, her recuse herself? And that's a valid election? <clears throat> I know last week I lost my voice and I'm doing it again. I'm sorry about that. But the fact is, we have to overturn that Arizona election. And, you know, donating to Kerry Lake will help do that. Okay? That's important. You've got to act. You've got to call your legislature, your senators specifically, U.S. senators on Monday, call them and say, you have to use the Lee Amendment to the, uh, to, you know, ref the Marriage Act, Disrespect Marriage Act, we're calling it. They're calling it the Respect Marriage Act. You either have to add these protections for natural marriage, for marriage of man and a woman, or you've got to defeat the bill. Monday, the 28th, you've got to be calling for that. you got to read the, the uh, PDF from the Freedom Caucus to understand how we've lost our country already. There is no one following the Constitution, and we've got to restore the Constitution. You've got to read that document, download it and read it on our website, so that when I come to you with ideas for how we're going to get the House to restore Representative Republic, that you'll understand why and how we're doing that. But you first got to understand what a mess it is. Okay? That's why you watch this podcast. That's why you got to tell other people to watch this podcast. Please tell others. Send this link on your, your, your app, your phone app. You can just share the link using the buttons on the bottom of the screen. If you have questions or suggestions, call me. Uh, write to me at info at wethepeopleconvention.org. Info at wethepeopleconvention.org. Send us your questions. Send us your comments. We love to get them. In the meantime, enjoy this beautiful Thanksgiving weekend. Enjoy family and friends. Be grateful for what we have because no matter how bad it is, we still have it better than anyone else in history. What we got to do is we got to defend that. We got to fight to defend that. And this podcast has showed you where we're under attack. Okay? And that's why the flag is still flying upside down. You should fly your flag upside down. Until we restore our republic, we must fight the fight for free and fair elections, for you know, representing representation by those we elect. We must fight for you know our economic prosperity and defending what we've earned. That's what this is all about. That's why you watch this podcast. And I'm very thankful that you do. Thank you so much for taking your time. I appreciate it. I promise you, the first day the Tea Party started, on July 11, 2009, I stood on the steps of the, Republic, of the uh, Portage County Courthouse, and I said, I will never waste your time, your effort, or your money. And I sit here to you with in front of you today, and I believe I have never violated that promise. And so I don't ask you to do things because you have nothing to do and you need something to do. I will not waste your time. 
But when I ask, I need you to support me and support our organization and support the other members who do act because it's all of us collectively that have to make a difference. And no one is going to restore and protect our freedom and liberty and prosperity but us. Not Donald Trump, not Matt Gates, not Jim Jordan. No, us. We must act. That's the bottom line. We must act. All right. Have a great rest of the holiday weekend. God willing, we'll see you all back here next week. You've been listening to the We the People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. And my name is Tom Zawistowski. Now